Kia ora. Good morning, Lane Park Church. Don't, don't you like that? I'm going to say that again. Good morning, Lane Park Church. Now that is great, isn't it? Good morning. I'm going to pick up. Uh, last week we talked a little bit about what I call generational transfer and just the need for all of us to be uh, receiving from a generation older than us and um, feeding uh, a generation younger than us. So I'm going to ask you, uh, just as I start, to humour me for a little bit and we will get into some of the messages because I want to talk a little bit about something I'm learning about and that's old age. So in, uh, in fact, the best statement, I have to say this, the best statement I've ever heard about old age comes from my beloved dear friend and brother Peter Muller when he said he memorized that scripture in Timothy which says, you know, flee from youthful lusts. And then he said, some, I can't do it as eloquent as Peter, but he said something like, now when you get to this stage of life, you find that they have fleed from you. Uh, I thought, you know, that is absolutely fantastic. And um, But um, in 1905, uh, a man by the name of Sir, where well, he became a Sir, Sir William Osler, made a huge impact into everything we are today getting benefit from in the world of medical science. And in fact, he was called the father of modern medicine. He was a fantastic guy. And tragically, he was asked to speak at a conference at John Hopkins University, and he said this. He said, all men over 60 are useless. <laughs> now, at the time... And, and this created an international furore. I mean, the whole world went crazy, as particularly those over 60. But he was 56 at the time, so whether he followed his own advice or what he did about that, um, I, I really don't know. And, and the real tragedy for all he achieved in medical science, the real tragedy was this triggered the discussion on euthanasia way back then in 1905. And, of course... It's developed into quite a discussion and I think is legal in a couple of countries at the moment in Scandinavia. I'm not sure about that. But anyway, it's, you know, it's looming on the horizon uh, everywhere. So, but back to old age. And I'm not trying to start a pity party. Just humor me for a little while and I promise you this will get a little bit better as we get into this. But getting old is a challenge. And although I hate to admit it, I am just not able to do the things I used to be able to do, or at least not at the same speed. Now, I'm confessing a few things here that I'll probably deny later, but at times I fall asleep when I'm trying to read or study. I'm convinced the hill that I still try and walk up several times a week just gets steeper and steeper and steeper as time goes on. And after only a short time on the shovel, which I used to do a lot of in my younger years, my back aches and hurts and I have to sit down and take a rest. And despite, I claim, Linda's not here, she's out with the kids, but I claim despite eating less than I ever have before in my life and still exercising, I'm not losing any weight. In fact, the opposite seems to happen. My little youngest grandson, he's five, so he's allowed to get away with this. I take them to school, all the grandkids every Wednesday morning, and he looked at me and he said, Grandad, how come you're so fat? <laughs> well, the funniest thing in all of that, after I wiped the tears from my eyes, 
the, the funniest thing in all of that was his older brother told him off for saying that, and if only his older brother could remember some of the things he said to me when he was five. So we struggle with all of that. Now, my doctor suggests it's the medication that I'm on, but I need that to keep myself going at this current moment anyway. So coming up now to 64, I'm wondering about what Osla says, because it means now I am four years into my uselessness. So it's easy to feel uncool and outdated and passed by. But you know, there's a better side to the story, even though, and some of this is in the church, but let's talk mainly about the world. Most of the attention and the agenda and all the best roles to play in the world are given to the people 40 years and younger. Not so much to the older ones. The best places on the team are normally given to the swift and the young. Uh, Richie McCaw made a great decision to retire at the pinnacle of his career, but everybody knew each year he was slowing down, and if he didn't retire, sooner or later he would find that his name wasn't in the current all-black team. It was about to disappear. So in recent years, a lot of what I do have changed so much, and uh, Linda and I talked a lot about this over the Christmas break about where do we go from here and how do we focus and do a lot of the things we do. But here's something that I do want to say, and it's not just to those of us who are getting older. Here's something that I've begun to learn. The Christian ministry or calling, which everybody has, every believer, Ephesians 2.10 has, is more about what you are prepared to let go than what you hold on to and do. I want to repeat that it's a whole message in itself and I can't go there this morning but I wished I'd seen it a lot earlier. But the Christian ministry of calling, which every one of us has, is more about what we are prepared to let go than what we hold on to. And we may not like this but it's the way it is. Because for all of us there are many things we know we could do well and would love to but we just don't get the opportunity and we have to accept that. So just as you thought this was the saddest message you've ever heard in your life, particularly those of you that are around my age, I want to shift gears because I want to take what the world sees and I want to bring this up into the kingdom of God. And it's very, very different. And we have to make sure our attitudes are conformed to the kingdom of God, not the ways of the world. Because my work with many younger people today has showed me that old age is a gift, not only to me, but it's a gift to the younger generation. And I have God's endorsement for this. He says that the honor of old men is their what? Gray hair. When Dennis Peacock first came here to this fellowship in 1984, a while ago now, he said, I lament for you because there's very little grey hair here. Because the Bible says, God declares, that old age is a treasure. Now, we have to learn how to unlock the treasure, how to feed the treasure, and how to get the treasure. And these principles apply if you're 20, because there is younger people than you, that need input on things you've already learned. So it's not just confined to that. But the psalmist says in Psalm 31, you are my God, 
My time is in your hands. Isn't it wonderful that our time is not placed in the hands of society or Hollywood or what people interpret as the prime of life, but all of our time from the day we were born till the day we die is in God's hands. That's very reassuring because I'm convinced that whatever else a younger generation wants, it wants to know and needs to know in order to achieve their calling in in life that there are older people who are reliable, available, and willing to tell the truth. They, any younger generation, maybe more so today than ever, maybe, need to be prepared to, to draw principles from people who is not just do what I say, not what I do, Because if you want information, just go to the internet and you'll get as much as you want. You know, some wonderful stuff. But when you can get alongside somebody who has worked out some principles in life and they can demonstrate how fruitful they have been, there is treasure. There is treasure. See, my experience has showed me that younger folk want to be able to trust somebody the age of their parents or grandparents, and many of them have been wounded by infidelity, uh, by divorce, uh, and by the whole thing of drugs, sex, alcohol, and all the mix of everything that brings. And their foundations have been deeply, deeply shaken. And one of the ways to bring healing to this is to be able to go to somebody older than you that you trust and is prepared to help rebuild you. So the essence of what Jesse started teaching and what I shared uh, last week, the essence of all this is that people of all ages are looking for mentors. And the opportunities are huge for anyone who's prepared to sign up for this. Nearly 15 years ago, I was coming back home on a plane and I felt the Holy Spirit spoke to me very clearly and said, I want you to, to balance your spending with your investing. And I knew immediately what God was saying. Mostly what I was doing then was preaching at various conferences and business meetings and places and just traveling six months of the year normally. And God started saying, that's fine to be teaching and preaching this stuff, but you need to balance out your life so a big portion of what you're doing is investing this stuff in other people and helping to work them out, work that out. And that changed my whole life. And it changed what I do still to this day. And I'm fortunate with a blended family to have eight young adults. Some of them are pushing 40 but to me that's still young, and nine grandchildren that I can have input into. And that's an amazing blessing. But I also have leaders all over the world that relate to me because they know I believe in them and they know that I can offer them something to help them down the hard road of making the same mistakes over and over again just through the term that we used last week of existentialism which says every generation has to experience things for themselves, which is a terrible lie. See, my father used to say to me, you can't put an old head on young shoulders. Actually, you can. And in fact, my dad did. 
by sharing your experience and your journey of life and the things that you have learned biblically that really, really work and investing them into members of the next generation. And what we said, what an exercise in futility if each generation has to make the same mistakes that the ones before them have already made and learned by. So let's, having said all of that, get back to Paul and Timothy and we'll just move through and and this last section of what we're doing about this. So I hope I've made it clear that everybody, and Aaron shared it this morning, that everybody can have and should have both a Paul and a Timothy, and it's better if it's plural, Pauls and Timothys in their life. Somebody to have input into and somebody they are seeking input from. So here's an important principle, and you don't have to be my age to learn this. I hope you all learn it. Fortunately, I learned it as a little kid from my father and grandfather. If you desire to play to the highest level, and all of you are players, every one of us who knows Jesus is a player, if you desire to play to the highest level God has intended for you, you have to have a coach, and without or coaches, it's plural, it's fine. Without one or them, you won't make it. Because so much of what God has for you is not coming to you direct from him by his design. It's going to come to you through mentors and coaches and the older generation. Why? Because God is the God of who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He works through three generations. He has planned your life through three generations. And we all have a major part to play in that and to receive in that. So I'm always going after what God has for me and other people as well as pursuing him myself for what God has for me from himself personally. It's got to be balanced. That's the way it is. The story of Paul and Timothy and Titus And Jesse talked about Barnabas, which I'm not covering. He's covered that well. But they're well covered in the New Testament. So I'm not going to go through all the scriptures and the verses, although they're wonderful. But it's sufficient to say that both Timothy and Titus became extremely fruitful in their lives and in their calling and furthered the work God had called Paul to do. And they carried it on long after he was gone. And do you know what? We're still working on what they have invested back then, today, 2,000 years later. And the scriptures, a lot of the letters we read in the New Testament is a classic example of that. Paul was always aware of his own mortality. And you can find that in 1 Corinthians 9, you can get it out of a lot of scriptures. But Paul made preparations to ensure that the work that he was called to would supersede his own life. Remember what we said last week. If you have only got a vision that you can complete in your own lifetime, it is too small and you haven't yet grasped everything God would have you do. And that's why the psalm says children or the next generations are arrows we fire across time, which enables what God's called us to do to carry on being achieved after we've left this planet. 
So although Timothy and Titus were handpicked by Paul, there were many others he invested in because he cared for and believed in his work so much he was not going to let it die at the end of his natural life. So it's important that we understand this. I shared last week, I am very much a product of this community, Lane Park Church. I've been here 37 years, I think it is. I got saved and born again here. And some amazing people have had a major impact of my life. So I am an expression, I say this unapologetically, I am an expression of the wealth that has been invested in me by other people. And this has enabled me in turn to invest wealth into uh, leaders both in the church and in business and in life all over the world. And that investment has come by people taking the time so much to invest in me. So how does this work? And I am going to talk a little bit about both sides and then give you some examples. But firstly, I encourage all of you to look for opportunities to invest in those God puts in your pathway of life. Go and look for those opportunities. The Lord puts a lot of people in our path, and if we go about life looking for them, we will find endless opportunities. It might only be a brief discussion on the train one morning on your way to work, or it might be something that develops into a long-term relationship, but those opportunities are there. And I want to tell you a story about one of my heroes who you'll never hear from or you'll never hear about. You'll probably meet him after Jesus returns. But he's a man by the name of Bruce Gookin. You'll never read about him in the newspapers or anything, but on one of my trips to the States, he was assigned to pick me up from the airport, him and his wonderful wife. They've both gone to be with the Lord now. So he picked me up and he said, I know just what you need. He said, you need a good meal and then to be dropped off where you're staying so you can have a shower and go to bed. He said, I've spent my whole life being an airline pilot and most of my time flying 747s. Incredibly interesting man to talk to. So he would talk about all of this and he had just retired and he said, now here's what I'm going to do. He said, unfortunately, my wife and I aren't, weren't able to have children and we don't have any grandchildren. So he said, I am going to adopt grandchildren and be an adopted grandparent to them. And I, you know, I knew he meant it. Now, the last time I met him, he had 17 adopted grandchildren all over the States. Now, because he had been an airline pilot, he could fly free anywhere within America. And he would fly around. He would love on them. He would call in to see them on their birthdays. He led many of them to the Lord, and he just encouraged them in their life. Phenomenal story. Phenomenal story of what he achieved during that time. Marie goes over there in 1997. She did a gap year between college and uni. And he used to work part-time in the office, the SES office, which was I would always be there when I was over there. And so I said to Marie, make sure you meet Bruce Gookin. So he comes in and Marie bounces up to him and says, um, he says to her, oh, what are you planning to do in your life, Marie? And Marie at that time wanted to be an airline pilot. 
Now, she couldn't because her eyes didn't pass the test and a few things, so it didn't happen. But she was pretty determined, and he said, oh, great. He said, uh, fly in what sort of planes? And Marie, being Marie, of course, said 747s. And he said, ah, come on, Marie. They're only computer operators. He said, I did that all my life. It's boring. He said, I'll tell you what, are you doing anything this Saturday morning? She says, no. And he said, I'll pick you up at 8.30 and I'll show you what flying's really about. Now, what we didn't know is he was also a qualified, he'd never told me this, aerobatic plane pilot. (laughs) So Marie arrives, didn't call me, thank goodness. She arrives, he picks her up, and he's hired this two-seater aerobatic plane. So he throws Marie in the passenger seat, and away they go, and she rings me up later on this afternoon and said, Dad, you've got no idea. We did spins and rolls and looped the loop and he cut the engine and dropped it down to the ground then fired up and she said, I've never had such a fantastic time in all my life. And I'm standing there nearly crying thinking, my baby girl, how could he do this to her? So here's my point. Fun story. Here's my point. He never gave up the opportunity to invest in somebody. He showed Marie something she could never get from anybody else, something specific he could show her in life. And that was what he was all about. Every opportunity he found, he would feed into other people. So time's moving on, so we need to get into some how-tos. So let me start first with the mentor side of thing if you're being appalled to somebody. So the first thing is this, find people who are prepared to learn and who have humility. That's key. Because being comes before doing in the kingdom of God. It's about who we are before it's about what we do. And here's something that has taken me too long to learn. Don't empower anybody who doesn't have a servant's If you do, you'll regret it. 99.9% of the time, don't empower anybody that doesn't have a servant's heart. Jesus' great parable, what have you guys been talking about? We've been talking about who is the greatest and who can sit on your right hand or your left. And he says, you haven't got it, guys. Who is least, like a child in the kingdom of God, is the greatest in God's eyes. Second point, to make their life count for Jesus, a person has to have a dream, a vision, and a passion to get them over the tough times. I thought about this. I'm reluctant to use this expression, and it seems contrary to my first point of view. But New Zealand use it a lot, particularly the selectors of the all-black team. So I hope you can hear this in a sanctified way. They have to have a little bit of the mongrel in them. Otherwise, pushing through the hard times, we have got to be stubborn enough to say, whatever happens, I'm not letting go of Jesus. Whatever happens, I'm believing he'll get me through this. I don't understand this. I'm not happy about this. In fact, I'm so angry with him, but I am sticking here because I believe this is what God's called me to do and I'm going to die before I quit. And 
that's a wonderful thing to get from older people who are still walking with the Lord because every single person that has done this journey of life, you open them up and they're full of scar tissue inside. Everyone. I had the um, blessing years ago of sitting with a wonderful man who's gone to be the Lord with the Lord now called Campbell McAlpine. Back in the charismatic days, he was a household name. And I sat with Campbell for about three hours in Hudden Jones' place. Hudden Jones had, had gone out, and I got left with Campbell. Had an amazing three hours, and he said to me, oh, I don't know too much about hard times because I haven't really experienced many. Then I got talking to him about his life, and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. But his view was, Jesus carried me through them all. That was his testimony. Amazing time. I took notes. I still have the notes. See, people who don't want to change and are totally satisfied with their life as it is don't need a mentor. See, we're all already in the game. We're not talking about salvation here. So here's the question. What level do you want to play at? And that's a question I ask people who have asked me to invest in them. What level do you want to play at? And if they say the current level I'm at, say, well, you don't need me or my time. Third point, your role is to bring the Christ potential out of each person, not your own ideal of who they should or could be. This starts from when your children are born. I had to look at Carla and Marie as little kids and say, what is God's design on their life and how can I as a father best help them to achieve that? Not look at them and say, this is what I want my son to be and this is what my, I want my daughter to be. We don't need any more Bruce's. No disrespect, but we don't need any more of you either. And one of the reasons is because who God has made you and put in you and the way he sees you is so wonderful that each one of you are perfection in yourself in Christ. So we don't have to create imitators for us. We've got to look at the potential and the calling, what God's put on a person and then invest in them to achieve it. And so that comes to the next point. Don't make your Timothys dependent on you. You are not doing them any favors if you make them totally reliant on you in life. We're to draw them into Christ and make them Christ-like and enhance their relationship with him, not with us. That doesn't mean this is not relational. It doesn't mean we won't deeply bond together with some people like Paul and Timothy and Titus obviously did. But don't make people dependent on you. <clears throat> and as you begin the relationship, ask, what do you need? And then how can I help you achieve it? I am not interested. I do a lot of business consulting, mostly with Christians now. I'm not interested in helping the people I invest in make a fortune and money. If that comes, that's great. I want to see them express the kingdom of God and be faithful and obedient in their business according to their design and calling from God. That's what I'm trying to achieve with them. The rest of it follows its own course. My last point, don't be afraid as a mentor to initiate. 
Don't be afraid to go to somebody and say, I think you can make a better fist of this thing and I'm prepared to spend an hour, a week or a month or whatever it is to help you get there. Don't be afraid to go and initiate. Where is the model? Jesus and the 12 disciples. He initiated. By the way, that was almost considered irreverent back in those days. You just didn't do it. People would beg you to have input into their life and then you'd pick the cream of them. Jesus initiated that process. Don't be afraid to do it. Okay, I'm going to shift to being a Timothy. See, I have three men in my life that know everything about me. They know my strengths, my weaknesses, my struggles, my issues of life, my failings. And here's one of the keys about these three guys. I want you to hear this. They are not the least bit impressed with my achievements. They'll say, well done, Bruce, that was great, and they'll coach me. They're not the least bit impressed with my achievements. They're after my character. And it's not always easy. So we're sitting in a meeting in Auckland, and I'm getting grumpy. This is a long time ago. I hope I've transformed a little since then. I'm getting grumpy, particularly with one guy. It's a Christian leaders meeting. We're all sitting around this table, and he's right down the wrong path, according to me. And I'm sitting there waiting for somebody to tell him, and nobody did. So I felt, well, it must be my job too. So I revved up and let go. Now, sadly, I didn't just pick on some of the issues he was saying, but I got like they do in political campaigns. I also got personal. And one of the comments I said to him is, I don't even believe you're a player in this game. Actually, you're a pain. So it was 12 o'clock, it was time for lunch, and I walked away thinking that was a good word, and I felt the anointing of the Holy Spirit on it, and (laughs) it'll achieve a lot of life. Dennis Peacock was with me. So we have a lovely lunch, and it's about 12.30. We've got half an hour to go, and Dennis says to me, oh, Bruce, come for a walk. I think, fantastic. Dennis and I are going to, you know, we have a lot of time together, but I never tire of it. I love being with him. So we're walking away, and he says, "Uh, Bruce, I want to talk to you about um, your last few comments in the meeting today. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, you know, somebody had to take him to task. And he stood, those of you who know Dennis, he's not a small guy. Dennis has got a piercing, focused look. Whenever you're with Dennis, there's no cell phones, no distractions, nothing. And when he looks at you, you feel like he's penetrating your whole being. So he doesn't have to be that close. He came up to me this close. We were standing, uh, we went for a walk up a little hill, looked me straight in the eyes and says, I can't believe this. You know nothing about the principles of the kingdom of God. You just assassinated a guy in that meeting. And he said, I was horrified at what you did, and I'm not prepared to tolerate it. So then I am starting to question the anointing of the Holy Spirit and a number of those things. But here's the key. I said to him, okay, well, when I see this guy again, I'll apologize. And here's the key. And here's the lesson I've never gotten. He said, no, you won't. You will go back to the meeting and in front of everybody that you shame this guy in front of, you will apologize in front of all those people to this man. 
See, I thought I could just take him aside and say, hey, look, sorry about that, got a bit excited, you know, whatever. He said, you will come in in front of that meeting, you will repent, and then you will ask that man's forgiveness in the front of everybody because you shamed him in the front of everybody in the room. So now you've got to restore him in the front of everybody in the room. I promise you, I did it. I did. I hated it. I promise you I have been so careful for that. This is 25, 26 years ago. I have been so careful ever since because you realize somebody has their hand on your collar and it's not so much the Holy Spirit or God I think of in those times. I think of that moment with Dennis. And I'm sure that has saved plenty of people being hurt by me over the years. I'm sure it has. Okay, so that's, I have to move on. Becoming a Timothy. Firstly, you've got to want to be more Christ-like every day. Secondly, you have to believe that you can always do better than life, do better at life than you currently are, which means you want to change. It's not that you don't celebrate where God's got you now. Remember what we've said so many times. We've been changed from one degree of glory to another, not from bad to good. You're already at one degree of glory. We've been changed to another. So we should be satisfied where God has us right now. But you want to change because you always think you can be more effective and do things better. So that comes to the third point. You have to have a godly dissatisfaction at the way things are. It doesn't matter how good our Sunday meetings are, I'm always thinking, how can we make them better? It doesn't matter how good I do with a consultancy with a client or somebody I'm mentoring, I always go away and get before the Lord and think, what could I have done better? I share these things with those who are mentoring me and say, could I have done this situation any better or is there a better way to handle this thing? So we've got to have a godly dissatisfaction. I love what President Kennedy said, and it's a very loose translation, but some people look at things the way they are and complain. Other people look at things the way they are and say, how can we make them better? We've got to live in the latter statement in the kingdom of God because Jesus is always working to make things better. Fourth point, I'm going through these quickly. We're nearly done. You have to find somebody that you want to be like. Find someone you can look up to and has walked the hard yards while staying focused on God. Uh, Jesse made a great point uh, on one of the sessions he shared. If you want to be this or that, go and find somebody who has already done it well and ask them to have input into your life. I might get caught out here but I don't think any of you could name anyone in the last 100 years that's had won an Olympic gold medal that didn't have a coach. I doubt it. I really doubt it. All the top professional golfers have a coach. All the top tennis players have a coach. We can't get there without a coach. If we try and say, I'm just going to go it my own way, you'll never get an Olympic gold medal. Or according to the Apostle Paul, you'll never receive the prize that God has for you at the end of your life without a coach. Finally, here's the key. And I'm speaking to myself as much as to you. 
If you're going to have people invest in you, listen to me carefully. You have to shut up and listen. See, there's nothing more frustrating than having somebody you're mentoring telling you how great you are. Telling you how great you are. See, your mentor, your coach wants to make you great, not constantly hear how great you already are. And let me tell you something about older people. Older people think that younger people think they're stupid because they see they can't lift things, they can't do things as well, they're not as mobile, and there's a whole lot of other reasons. And the Western world, the Eastern nations and places a lot that I go to have a very different opinion of this. But in the Western world, they think you're old and stupid. Now, because so many older people are aware of that, they won't share with you the treasures they have unless they say you are really interested in hearing them. Older people have a radar for when they are being patronized. They have an absolute radar and you will never get the goods unless you are far better at answering, asking questions than you are about proclaiming all your great achievements in life. There's a key. That was worth you coming just to hear that. There is a key. There is so much treasure going off this planet unshared. How many of you, you don't have to put up your hands, how many of you have been to funerals? And I have done dozens and dozens of funerals, but like all of you, been to a whole lot more. And you've sat there in the funeral and said, I wished I had have known that about so-and-so. Man, I would have gone and saw them, talked to them, and they're gone. They're gone to be with the Lord. They've already left. We find out a whole lot about older people often at funerals that we wished we had have known. Why didn't we know them? Because we never put ourselves in a place where they would feel confident enough or that we were interested enough to hear from them. My father held our family history orally in a most remarkable way. Five, six years ago, I can't tell you how many, I went down there with a recorder and I recorded him over two sessions for three hours and I have the whole family history on CD. He was an amazing storyteller, very funny and a wonderful, had a wonderful way of communicating. I have captured it. My kids have heard it. They got a lot of it from him, but my kids have heard it and it's there forever. See, so many of those people leave this earth with their treasures because we couldn't sit still and quiet and interested enough to put them in an environment where they will begin to talk and let it out. It's a tragedy. And it's a, it's a key element of the Western world, and it's a shame. It's not the kingdom of God, and we can, we can change it. See, the one thing that youth and vigor which is necessary, won't bring you, is age-old wisdom. That's available for you as a treasure from older people. Proverbs 2. My son, now here in this proverb, and we know all scriptures anointed by God, but here is a father speaking to his son in Proverbs chapter 2. My son, 
If you will receive my words and treasure my commandments with you, make your ear attentive to witness and incline your heart to understanding. If you cry for discernment and lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver uh, silver, and search for her as hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. The then is there for a reason. Let me encourage you to read the first few verses of father telling his son what his son will get if he fulfills all those commissions. Then, and only then, will you discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. We need to be good at it, brothers and sisters. We need to be good at it. It's an art. It's learnt and it's practised and it requires work. So here's what I'm saying. Your life's a precious gift from God. And he has so much for you in it, but it is not primarily about you. It is about Jesus and his kingdom and the role he has called you, each one of you, to play in it. And the greatest gifts and fulfillment, according to Proverbs, is having the wisdom and the understanding and a good portion of that has been given for you by God to other people. God has invested what he has for you and other people. So here's where I want to leave this. We're out of time. I want to move on. Ask yourself today, who can I be a Paul to? Who can I be a Timothy to? Both will reward you equally. The best way to learn something is to begin to teach it. Then you really have to learn it. Don't restrict yourself just to you. Working generationally will make you much bigger than who you currently are, both investing and being invested into. So I want to finish here. 2 Timothy 2.2 says this. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... And trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's all there in one verse. Paul says to Timothy, what you have learned from me, go and invest it in others so they can invest it in others also. And there is the essence of the kingdom of God. Set right there. The good news is that we can all be either an imparter of Jesus' truth or a faithful person receiving it. And what excites me most is we can do, be, do and be both at the same time. And this will ensure that Lane Park Church has a wonderful future of changing people's lives, not only for now, but for generations to come. And look at the facility we have been given to do that. Father, we want to thank you for your, thank, your faithfulness. <clears throat> We want to thank you, Lord, that each one of us, you have a plan and a purpose for each of our lives. We want to thank you, Father, that you have invested some things in us that are not for us at all. They're for others. And some of the treasures you have for us can only be unlocked as we sit at the feet, as it were, of other people who are prepared to invest it in us. Lord, this is carried on for 2,000 years, may it not stop with our generation despite the pressures of the Western world. May we embrace the essence 
of the kingdom of God, which declares again that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Bruce. I was I was looking at number five of Bruce's list, and and I Bruce is somebody that that I walk alongside with, and he helps me out. So I'm like, I better take notes if he's telling me to shut up and listen. So I, I love that Bruce; it made me laugh. Um, but um, I, I just wanted to leave you with a, a quote from Andy Stanley, and we'll go and do our tea and coffee. But I'm I'm just so encouraged, just in general, that. Um, Life isn't about filling me and mine and my needs. Um, uh, Carl Foreman, he's the pastor of Salvation Army at the Upper Hutt Ministers meeting this week. He said something. He said, church spends a lot of time making good people good. And, and I love that um, in the sense that we don't want to do that. We want to be people that can invest in one another and send each other out and be having as much influence in the places that we're currently placed. And the heart of why we're getting involved in one another's lives is not so we have this select community, but it's that we can encourage and bless and pour into others so that we can go and do that with more people wherever you're currently placed. This is not an internal focus. We're going, we want to support one another to send each other out. Amen. Um, but I just love, Andy Stanley says this, He says, don't look to fill someone else's cup. Look to empty yours. Don't look to fill someone else's cup. Look to empty yours. That takes the the whole pressure of you having to be Jesus to someone else. And you just be who God's created you to be to those that we're interacting with. Amen. So go and enjoy some good fellowship. Bless you guys. We'll see you next week.